Hello there, this is the Psychology Report, and this is Dr. Alan Hedberg. Say, I went to church on Sunday. That was yesterday. Maybe you did too. I went to the church of my history and my background and my preference. The church has changed in many ways. You perhaps went to the church of your choice, of your background, of your history, of your... Uh, historical preference of what a church should be like and how worship service should uh, be put forth. And whatever comfort level you had and whatever comfort level I had, we experienced that in the church we attended. But perhaps you did what I did. When I was in church Sunday, I took pause to look around. There were many black people. Not many, but there were many. Certainly the minority. There were many Mexicans, Latinos, Hispanics, quite a few actually, perhaps made up almost half of the population. Some Asians, there were men and women, almost equally divided. You see, the church was quite mixed and quite diverse, but was it multiracial? Was it multi-ethnic? Well, there are many people that would say a church is multiracial or multi-ethnic if at least 20% of the people are from another ethnic background. They usually mean black when they give those statistics as compared to the 80% that are white. So an 80-20% split is often used as a definition or a marker for whether a church is multiracial or multi-ethnic. But if you take all the races together and ethnic groups together, that number is probably not an accurate number. The question is, is there a mix between and among the racial backgrounds and ethnic groups of the community in which that church is located and the community that that church serves and reaches out to? Is there a mix? Is there at least a 20 or 80 split? Maybe it should be closer to 50-50. There is no magic number. But I think we have to be careful not to pride ourselves with the fact that because we have a black family or because we have a few uh, brown people from uh, another culture or another country or whatever, that we are somehow multiracial or multi-ethnic. That's not the criteria. I'll tell you what it is in a moment. But if you go back into the Bible and the history of the Bible and the history of the church, you know, the Apostle Paul made those kind of comments about a church. You know, he identified the church as neither slave nor free. They had both, in other words. They were neither male nor female. In other words, they were both. They were neither Jew nor Greek. They were both. In other words, the early church was a mixture of people from different backgrounds, different uh, orientations, different interest groups, and certainly different levels of freedom. But they came together for one purpose, and that was to worship. And they were welcome. They were invited. They were equal. They came together to look at God, to look into the face of God, not to look into the face of each other. They were to compare themselves to a God lifestyle or a godly lifestyle, not compare themselves to the lifestyle of each other, 
within the congregation. That was the point of it. But what is a church that is multiracial or multiethnic? And you can take this to other organizations as well. It doesn't have to be a church necessarily, but it could be many, many different types of organizations. Well, here's the ratio that seems to make sense. Is that there is at least a percentage of the people in the leadership of that church that are of a different ethnic background or an ethnic group. It's not just whether you have people who are black attending your church, but are they part of the leadership? Are they part of the decision-making body of that church? It's not enough whether people are Mexican or uh, Hispanic or they're Korean or they're Chinese or they're Japanese or whatever. That's not the point. The point is, are they part of the leadership of that church? Are they part of the decision-making body of that church? That's what makes a church multicultural or multi-ethnic. It's the integration at the decision-making level, not at the pew-seating level, that makes a church multiracial and multi-ethnic. Only about 2% of the population of churches, 2% of the churches in America, can say they are multi-ethnic and multiracial from that perspective or from that definition. So we are not an integrated body of people in the church. We still are considered a very racially separated group of people. The blacks meet there in their churches and their community. The whites meet in their churches and their communities. And the uh, brown and the Hispanic and so on meet in their churches and their communities. And we are really not an integrated body of people. We could be. And perhaps we should be. And perhaps we even desire to be. But it won't happen unless we specifically make some cognitive choices, some wise choices, some intelligent choices to how to bring people together in a congregation and make them part of one body at the decision-making level. Now, an interesting point about our the church that I attend, they have two kind of subgroups. They have a deaf church, and they meet separately. There are a few occasions when they all meet together, but generally speaking, they are separated out. The deaf are not part of the decision-making body of the church. So from the point of view of a white and a deaf person, we are not integrated. Even though we might pride ourselves in the fact that we have this population of people who are deaf, and they're different from us, and therefore we have some kind of a diverse population in the church. That's a false hope. That's a false sense of security, if you will. But our church is different in another way. We have a Hispanic church. We have a Hispanic population. They meet at a different time in a different place, but they're part of our church. Now, there may be 100, 200 of these people that meet on a given Sunday, but they're not part of the white population. They're not part of the white church. Part of it is language, and part of it is preference. But if we're going to have a church that's integrated, even if we have different services that accommodate different language groups, we still can have one body of decision-making, one body of leadership that's integrated. That can happen. 
but we have to decide to do that. And we have to deliberately reach out and create an atmosphere and create an, uh, an openness for that kind of integration. See, the purpose is not just, a church doesn't exist just to bring people together that are different from each other. That's not the reason for a church or perhaps any other organization, although there may be some that you know, exist because of that. A church exists for a different reason, and that is to worship God. And to do that in a way that brings people together and recognizes the commonness and the equalness and the humanity of people before God. And that those that choose and make that kind of decision to become part of the godly population of a church, to become the believers of that particular church and that particular community. So that people come together to meet with God not each other. But in the process of doing that, there is another advantage, there's another benefit, there's another spin-off, there's another um, uh, contribution that a church makes to its people and to its community. And that is to bring people together who are different from each other, whether it be race or language or gender or age or whatever it might be, to bring them together as one before God. And that is heavenly. This has been the Psychology Report. And this is Dr. Alan Hedberg. And today, before I sign off, I would just like to again bring to your attention the Wellspring Foundation for Education, Rwanda, Africa. The Wellspring works with 1,700 teachers and 92,000 students and their families throughout Rwanda. Wellspring works to enable children to receive a life-changing education that empowers them to break the cycle that has held generations in change and poverty and separation one from the other. Rwanda is known for the genocide that happened many years back, and they're coming out of that. And Wellspring is an attempt to work with the surviving families and the children that are now coming forth and bringing them up in a manner that gives them a quality education so that they can be the leaders of the country, they can be leaders of the church, they can be leaders of their people as they en engage in lifestyle changes and age over the years. Wellspring is empowering a new generation to live up to the potential that every child has, no matter where they are born. Now, if you'd like a little bit more information about Wellspring Foundation for Education, they work with the children of Rwanda and the families, I would refer you to their website, www.thewellspringfoundation.org. www.thewellspringfoundation.org. Dot org. Look up their, their website, get a little bit better acquainted with them, and send them a few bucks. They'll use it to take a teacher that is well-trained and experienced, send them out into the bush country, into the rural schools, to consult with those teachers and educate those teachers to become higher quality teacher, so that the children out in that bush, out in that rural area, 
get a quality education based on the values of Christian living. The Wellspring Foundation.org. Thanks for joining me. This is Dr. Alan Hedberg, and it's been the Psychology Report. Bye bye.